The entire team at the Emsolation Podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians and cultures of the lands and seas on which we live and work. We pay our respects to all First Nations peoples, elders and ancestors. We acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and stand in solidarity towards a shared future. I personally want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I record this podcast every week, the Wurundjeri people. I recognise their continued connection to the land and waters of this beautiful place I call home. Always was, always will be. M. Rossiano. I've just been sitting there in the corner clutching my little anxiety blanket, just lost in these sex scenes. And Michael Lucas. How does it not look like you've got an enormous wang on the stage? This is M. Not that you're in any way biased. How dare you? How dare you point out exactly what I am? You're in M. Well, hello there and welcome to Emsolation. My name is Em Rossiano. I'm a writer, a singer, a stand-up comedian, a maximalist power queen, a neurodivergent magic brain, a podcaster. <laughs> Together with my best friend since I was 11, screenwriter and podcaster, Mr Michael Lucas, I bring you this show once a week to chat about all the things that, you know, have affected Michael and I during the week. And it could be anything. Honestly, it might be something from the newspaper, the current events. It might just be, I don't know, if one of us lay on a stage and cried for five minutes, which I did at the International Women's Day event that I spoke at. <clears throat> yes, if you were there, you'll know. It was a magical experience. We talk about that during the podcast, so I won't bore you with the details now. But it was the first time I'd been on stage in quite a long time. And when I walked out... I was very overwhelmed and in the lead up to it, I was kept saying to my husband, I don't know that I know how to remember to do this. I am a bit afraid and uh, turned out it was all okay. But I did cry, but you'll find out why. It's all good. How about we turn that frown upside down? Speaking of live shows, our live show at the Malt House is 20 tickets off selling out. So I'm calling it a sellout. So it is with a great excitement that I announce we will be live streaming the show to all of you who can't be there on April the 12th, Tuesday night. If you can't be there, you'll be able to watch it with us live. Yep, we're doing it. When I saw how quickly we sold all the tickets and how many of you were, please, can we do it? Bear in mind, it's not an easy thing to do a live stream from a theatre. You know, I'm not Beyonce, but we're going to make it happen. So uh, I'll put all the details up. Ben will put it in the newsletter. No matter where you are in the world, you will be able to watch the Emsolation second birthday live show. It's shaping up to be quite a fantastic evening. Now, remember, as time of recording, there's about 20 tickets left. They are right up the back in the balcony, but don't worry. I'm so loud and I'll be so sparkly. It will, you'll have an amazing experience. You'll also get to meet other Melbourne-based emsolators. So if you can come live, snap those last few tickets up. But for those of you who can't, you'll be able to, from the comfort of your own home, no matter where you are, be involved. Because, of course, I want you all to be there and involved. So it's very exciting. All the details will be up on all the socials. All right, that's it from me. Play the music. M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas. This is M. Salation. Michael Lucas, welcome. We've just been discussing off air the Madonna biopics. So we're going straight into it. Like, we both have a lot of other things we want to talk about. I cried on stage. You cried at a theatre show. But before we get to that, the Madonna biopic. Now, yeah. look, you're obviously the 
out of the two of us, superior Madonna fan. Thank I'll you. cop it. What Correct. do we know so far about this movie? Firstly, she does not call it a biopic. Oh. She calls it a visual autobiography. <laughs> a visual autobiography. <laughs> she is writing it and she will direct it. So they want me to star in it, write the theme tune, sing the theme tune. Oh, my God. Written by Madonna, directed by Madonna. And I can just see her screaming off camera, no, do it like this, and then walking in and acting the scene. If she doesn't end up acting and playing in this, I'll be very surprised. Look, I think Instagram is about two months away from inventing a filter that could take her back to the mid-20s Madonna, pretty much. But uh, she would, I believe, be one of the first people in history to Mm. direct their own biopic. A visual autobiography. Sorry, visual autobiography. (laughs) It's been happening. She's been developing it for ages. And I can tell you that she launched into it because uh, someone dared to write a script called Blonde Ambition about the early part of her career. I have, of course, read it. She was very uh, offended by it. And she said... There is nobody on this planet that can write or direct and make a movie about me better than me. (laughs) And so that's what she's committed herself to. This is so on brand and exciting. That she's like, I'm doing this. I am going to direct it. I'm going to write it. She's also co-writing it. Totally. I'm going to produce it. Yeah. And then also, and this is why we're talking about it, The Guardian put out a hysterical article, I loved it, talking about the Madonna boot camp. Mm. The women who are yet to be cast mm. have had to go through. Mm. So the front runners are Florence Pugh. Yep. Correct. And Julia Garner from Ozark, who I now only know as Anna from Inventing Anna. Why are you so obsessed with me? (laughs) Why you look poor? She's amazing. I do not have time for you. I do not have time for this. I do not have time for this. I do not have time for you. Both of them quite good physical matches for Madonna back in the day. Yes, and one of the girls from Euphoria, Alexa Demi. But the hot male is on Julia Garner. That's who we're hearing is like the front runner. Really? Yes. We want Florence Pugh as Madonna fans. Yes. She can sing Mm. and dance, I believe. And And looks like her. So much. Uncannily. Absolutely. What did everyone just see Florence Pugh in? The Black Widow. Oh. Okay, I love you. I should also add someone else is daring to play Madonna at the moment, Evan Rachel Wood is playing Madonna because they are making another biopic about Weird Al Yankovic in which Madonna has a critical role because, of course, one of his most famous uh, songs was the spoof of Like a Virgin, Like a Surgeon. (laughs) How could we forget? (laughs) Yeah, so she's been posting pictures of herself playing Madonna. But I think Madonna would look at that and go, no, she's a bit old to play. (laughs) As I understand it... From watching the incredibly long Instagram live session she's done live from the writing room. Now, is the writing room just her and the mirror? No. Because she did sack Diablo Cody. She has done one extended one with Diablo Cody, who's an amazing Oscar-winning screenwriter who did uh, Juno. Yes. And actually wrote the musical Jagged Little Pill. Yes. Basically, and that did not last long, that union. It did not last long. No, we don't know why. Gosh, Yada. Get your timeline right. We do know that she sentenced Diablo to incredibly long Instagram lives that were intensely lit in her elaborate drawing room as she sort of drank white wine and did made provocative poses on a couch. I see my future with you and I. Totally. <laughs> Me too. It was very familiar. So for some reason, something went wrong there. And so now she has a new one. Do you have the name? It's... It is Erin Cressida Wilson. Who wrote the movie Secretary with Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yes. Apparently the movie 
Uh, it, it's, it was originally very expansive, trying to cover her a great chunk of her career, but apparently now it just goes up until the Blonde Ambition Tour. So we're just looking at the first sort of seven years. Yes. So the Madonna boot camp for these women apparently consists of 11-hour sessions with Madonna's choreographer, followed by further choreography sessions with Madonna herself, followed by readings with Madonna and singing Madonna songs with Madonna to Madonna in front of Madonna. I am my own experiment. I am my own work of art. It's either torture or my personal vision of heaven. (laughs) And then once this successful woman is actually cast, they then apparently face further months of Madonna training prior to shooting before being directed by Madonna in the art of acting like Madonna. (laughs) I fucking love her so much. This is so (laughs) outrageous. I can't think of anything better. And, like, some of you may be asking, has Madonna even directed a movie before? Has she? Oh, my word, she has. What is the name of that blessed film? There's more than one. Oh, God. (laughs) There was one called Filth and Wisdom. Filth and Wisdom, and I just want to read a quote from an article written from The Guardian and they reviewed it. Peter Bradshaw described it as incredibly bad and then went on to say... She's made a movie so incredibly bad that the Berlin festival goers were staggering were staggering around yesterday in a state of clinical shock, deathly and mewing like maltreated kittens. I have seen it. What was wrong with the direction? I actually, I, I don't know that it was so much the direction. Mm. I think maybe the writing was. There were a other bit. issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. what else has she directed? Uh, another movie called uh, WE, which was about Wallace Simpson. I've <laughs> also seen that. And? <laughs> <laughs> Look, yeah. it was like an extended music video clip. I don't think it was quite the uh, horror show that people made it out to be, but it, I, fair to say it was not acclaimed. <laughs> In terms of Madonna's <laughs> movie career, it's just important to have a strict focus on desperately seeking Susan. Dick Tracy. A league of their own, Dick Tracy, in bed with Madonna and Evita, and that's it. That's it. That's it. Just don't Who look cares? anywhere else. Anywhere else. Don't care for it. You might hear some words like Shanghai Surprise, who's that girl? <laughs> <laughs> the but, next but, best thing, but, swept away. That's impossible, you idiot. What? No. <laughs> swept away. I forgot about swept away. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Michael and I are already giving it five stars and it hasn't been written. I just hope someone is filming this boot camp. That's what I would say. Oh, we need a behind-the-scenes Netflix doco style, like what they do for F1. What they did for the Beatles. We need the 10 hours. We need every minute of this boot camp. I just last night realised that they don't spell Beatles like Beatles, that it's actually a pun on the word beat. I did not even... That did not... Am I the only one in the world? So Beatle is B-E-E-T-L-E. And the band spell it B-E-A-T-L-E. Yeah, because it's and the beat. It's I a bad pun. did not know that. I did not know that. In my mind and heart, I know how to spell the word Beatle, but then when I see it written in, in conjunction with the band and in reference to the band, my brain just adjusts. I did remember there was a certain point that I realised they had misspelled Beatle, but I'm going to put that at about grade two. <laughs> no shade. Could have happened to all of us. All shade. Girl, the shade, the shade of it all. All shade. So, yeah, look, I, I'm excited. I'm so excited. And it's just, I'm telling you, I'm tipping, if she doesn't end up playing the title role, I'll that be feels very like surprised. The end game. <laughs> and I'm kidding. I just mean, her slamming the headphones down and just firing. No one it. can do it than me. <laughs> do it better. Do it more like me. Be me. That's going to be your directions. <laughs> No, more like me. Absolutely cannot wait. All right, well, moving on from our favourite topic, we have, look, there's obviously a 
lot of heavy stuff going in in the world. So we thought we'd talk about the shows that have been totally distracting us. Yes. And I have been watching the sequel to Vikings, Vikings Valhalla. It's a hundred years after the legend of Ragnar Lothbrok, and it's everything I want. Is it? I'm going to tell you. The hot guy from Sabrina is there. The new Sabrina. He played the the dirt prince, and he plays a Viking. There's another guy. I think he's an Australian guy. Yeah, they that's right. Two Vikings. I don't I remember. Met him. What? Yeah, you know this. I met him after the actors. He is good friends with Roy Joseph, who plays Harry in Five Bedrooms. And after the actor awards, I was introduced to a tall, long-haired, sort of elfin-looking dude. <laughs> and then I was told, oh, he's in the new Vikings, and I didn't quite understand it. But I did make sure to get a picture because I thought M's going to... In fact, multiple women in my life are going to be obsessed with this guy. Oh, mate. Odie came in, my middle child, and she's like, the new Vikings, the lead guy, is so hot. And I was like, oh, my God, finally we agree on something because, you know, she's into Timothy Chalamet, who basically yeah. looks like a malnourished orphan. Lisa... I want some more. Mm. And I'm into big, hairy Viking men. Oh, he is. He does sit nicely in the middle. middle. Yes. He also looks a bit like that footballer that you found the fake picture of their penis. He looks a little bit like that to me. Bailey Smith. Bailey, yes. He does look a bit like him. Mm. Yeah, so I highly recommend it. It's just hot men banging up against each other with swords. It's everything you want. There's nothing new, like they're trying to invade England, blah, blah, blah. There's, you know, Mm, mm. it's... So, so good. I just, it's just, oh my God, I love it so much. I don't know why. I can't explain my proclivity to violent men with beards. Otherwise, I hate violence. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I'll watch Drag Race straight after. Mm. But there's just something about But I think it's the same reason I used to love WWE when I grew up. I loved the wrestling. Yeah. But that, at least they're wearing campy outfits. Well, I suppose they are invited It's too, essentially drag. It is. Yeah. Like, I was obsessed with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Like me. I used to love the wrestling. Mm, and I think mm. it's for the same reason. It was big men bouncing off each other, but the bonus was they were dressed in drag. So it was it was tick, tick, oh, tick, 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 my box. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> now, you've been watching something that you've been trying to force on me. I have, but it physically pains me that you won't watch it. And not just me. Chella has watched it. She's inhaled it. Mm. How could two of the most important people in your life time and time again recommend this show? Anyway, just listen to the premise. Okay. It's called Young Royals. Already I thought I'm you'd on. be in. Of course. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. They're young. They're royal. Great. Yeah, tip. so we're in Sweden. Oh. And the the young teenage Prince Harry-esque uh, prince mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's in a bit of trouble, he's angry and he's going to nightclubs and he's getting in trouble with the paparazzi. So his parents toughen up on him and they send him to an exclusive boarding school where several other, like, less important royals go. A boarding school a scenario. Board, yes. Okay, now you're being interesting. And the boarding school has obviously this prince and other uh, side royals, but uh, it also has incredibly like privileged kids of, of, you know, wealthy tech billionaires. But in addition to that, I've just a few poor people from the town. Got it. Got it. Okay. (laughs) People from the wrong side of the tracks. Exactly. Got it. And so one of those people is this insanely beautiful looking uh, town's boy who sort of has a bit of a Mm -hmm. Latino background. Mm -hmm. And um, he's also a spectacular vocalist. Like the first time we see him, he's singing like an absolute they're angel. singing as well? Mm-hmm. They're young, they're royal, they're at boarding school and they're, they're singing. singing. And then in addition to that, 
the prince kind of falls in love with the guy. Wait, so it's gay. They're gay. They're, it's gay. It's gay. Yeah. Well, gay. the prince is sort of saying, he constantly says, I'm not, I'm not, but. He's gay. He's gay. It's gay. It's essentially, it's a gay love I affair. I love gay it's love stories. It's a hot stories. gay love affair. <gasps> hot stuff coming through. <laughs> He's the prince. He's expected to eventually, Can't you know, take his place. Can't be gay. Can't, Can't be, gay. be gay. What will happen? No what gay. will happen? Don't be gay. And let me tell you, they know how to milk the gay <laughs> angst. Like the number careful of times. Careful how you say they learn how to milk a gay. Just be yeah, careful. No, well, yeah. <laughs> the number of times they bring you to a point of, of you know, they make sure to end on a smouldering look or maybe even a little bit further than that. Is you it like to watch. Fran Fine and Mr Sheffield? Oh, Mr Sheffield. <laughs> it it is a bit like, like that, that, but I will say yeah. uh, one thing that troubled me was it's Netflix that comes up and then you know how it comes up with the rating there and then it comes up and you the first thing you see is strong sex scenes. I feel like I should just say to the, everyone that a applies to the series as a whole, you'll get it, but not the first episode. So when it came up, we were like, oh, strong sex scenes. And then we saw, like, the lead actors and we're like, okay, but they're going to make you work for it. I mean, it is subtitled. I want to, I yeah. do want to say that. I feel but like, yeah, I can do it as long as I'm not tired. Oh, my God, I've just become my father. <laughs> it will keep you awake. You will be obsessed with it. Oh, no, I mean, you've sold me. Gay love story. Gay love Tick, story. my favourite kind. Musical, yes. Royalty. Uh, boarding school, Royalty. Hot young youth oriented storylines. Yeah, yeah, I'm a youth. Yeah. I'm a youth. In my mind, when I see something, oh, there's a new YA fiction out. Oh, I'll be into that. <laughs> I am the core demographic for people making art and content for 10 to 20 year old people. It's basically Twilight, but with oh, gay, you've gone too far. gay Swedish princes instead of vampires and werewolves. Oh my God. Okay. All right, I'm going to have to hose off. We're going to go away. We're going to come back. Now, we're doing something we haven't done in a while. Bridget, who is an emsolator and a wonderful woman, she's on the Facebook group, she put up this beautiful post talking about how she's 41 and realised she's not going to have kids. And a lot of you jumped on this and I asked her if she wouldn't mind recording it and sending it. So next we're going to have a chat and help one of you, hopefully, hopefully help. That's next. M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas. This is Emsolation. And we're back. Before we get to Bridget, I just want to thank the women of Gippsland, of Warragul, who turned up to my keynote address last night. International Women's Day occurred this week and I was invited to speak in front of 800 people at the West Gippsland Art Centre. So we went out there, Scott drove me. Now, this bear in mind, it's just a speech, a little speech that it's like you get on the corporate circuit and you go and you, you you talk about your life and the lessons you've learned. And it's meant to be quite straight-laced. Footballers do them, CEOs do them. It's a thing. It's a TED Talk. But I lost my little mind. I haven't been on stage in a year and I went out there with my script. It was all numbered. I was going to stick to mm. it. And I had a lady in the crowd who I was going to ask how long I've been going for. And at the 28-minute mark when I asked, I hadn't actually gotten off the first page <laughs> of my 20-page script. <laughs> This is a syndrome that you do have. Like when often the first night of M's tours, I'm often aware of what the structure of the script is and often I'm sitting there in the audience going, she's still in the introduction. We have five minutes to go. But you acknowledge it on stage oh, yeah. generally. It was nuts. And I went on lots of side quests and it was fine. But what happened was at the end of it, everyone, they gave me a standing ovation. Aww. 
which doesn't often happen in keynotes because they're often a bit stuffy and boring. A bit dry. Yeah. But and safe. They're normally very safe because yeah. people prepare something that could work for any audience. Yeah, but I talked about, like, having an explosive period when the plane landed when I came into Idol. And there were women in the room breastfeeding their children and some of them were calling out and openly crying. Like, it was this whole kind of revival church event <laughs> and there were some counsellors from the local council sitting in there, like two or three men, and I could just see them <laughs> gone through some kind of, you know, it was, they were shell-shocked, I think would be the appropriate. For a second, when you said counsellors, I thought you meant counsellors, like they looked at the audience and said, they're going to need some treatment, (laughs) call them in, call them in right now, which I would support. Well, when they started clapping, as we all know, I have trouble regulating my emotions, I lay down on the stage and cried. Mm. And then one of the ladies in the Q&A asked me what kind of athlete I was and I said, I'm a hurdler, let me show you. So then I took my shoes off and hurdled on stage in a short leather skirt and the front row definitely saw what I had for breakfast. But, like, I just felt the need to run and hurdle. And I just kept jogging as I answered questions because my whole body was, like, buzzing. Yeah. And they just were great and accepted it. And I just want to say thank you very much for holding me because this showgirl was very scared to do it and it was amazing. And thanks. This poor girl, Jade, when I arrived, her her job is to wrangle the councils and stuff. And she's like, now... Can you let me know exactly how many minutes does your keynote go for? And then let's program in how long should the Q&A go for? You know, like, and do you want to be off at a certain time? And I said, Jade, um, <laughs> this isn't going to be like normal speeches. I don't know. And poor Jade was sitting in the audience. I just kept referencing her. Jade's having a heart attack. Poor Jade. Oh, Jade, I said I wouldn't swear. I'm fucking sorry, Jade. I, I, I oh, I bet swears. you did. Yeah, they would have been cool with that and yeah, horrible. That's fine if they're not too bad. So anyway, thanks for having me. Oh, I also have been in standing ovation land. Yeah. Oh, it was so beautiful. I went to see the musical Fun Home, mm-hmm. one of the last performances, and it was an extremely unusual one because right before Curtain, the director came out and he said it was an unusual show because the lead had gone down with COVID. Right at the end of the season, they only had three more performances and they didn't have the heart to cancel because there were different sets of kids that played Aww. played also lead characters and they didn't want to tell those kids we couldn't go on. So he had rung an actor who had, like, not ever rehearsed the show or anything like that. Her name was Dione Zanotto. And at midday, she got a call saying, we need you to come on and try and save the show. Yeah, so she put her little earbuds in. I mean, I can't even imagine the freak out. It's literally my worst. In fact, I have had nightmares about that, being told go on stage and you don't know anything. Yeah. So she put her headphones in, started listening to the Spotify playlist of and just trying to learn the songs. Oh, my gosh. And she had to, like, carry the script with her. But needless to say, the audience just got so behind it. And then she came out. She was exceptional. She had a flawless accent. The cast around her were just beautiful. Like the little kids that played the younger versions of her would sort of guide her into position. And the the audience was just, it was such an ovation. And for me, I guess it was just, I don't think that I've properly processed what the pandemic has been like for artists and how hard it's been. Like Mm. artists that can't work or that can work, but it's hell. And something about seeing her sail through this and do the riskiest thing and especially seeing these little children, it was their last performance, seeing them be so kind to her and to help literally guide her into the light. I was in total tears, total tears. And by the end she'd obviously put in the work to really learn the final big crescendo songs and so she was able to sort of put the script aside and just go with it. Standing ovations. God. Oh, my God. Come on. Of course. Oh, God. That's the beauty of live theatre and you can't top it. 
I felt the it same was thing. It is electric. When you're all in a space having the same experience and the emotions are in the air, like, I felt that last night too. And I felt, and she would have felt it. The audience holding you, that you mm. were all holding her, and that's what gave her the confidence to do it. Because if you've got an audience that isn't leaning in and wanting you to succeed mm. in that moment, it's very hard to rise to the occasion. Like, oh. I, yeah, if if I didn't get a few ladies yelling out, "Come on, Em!" because when I walked out on stage, I got teary straight away, and I was like, I stopped, and a couple like, "You can do it!" Mm. And, and I'm like, "Yes, I can." The communal experience. Oh, go and see live shows now that it's all opened up again. The Melbourne Comedy Festival is coming up. Go and support live artists. It's such a big deal. Oh, truly. And I've seen four live shows post-Omicron now and everyone has been in their own way oh, electric. Beautiful. Electric. Yeah. Before we go, let's have a listen to Emsolator Bridget who sent in this voicemail. We want to help her out. Have a listen. This is a question for all the single ladies over 40. I went on a date last night. It was one of many very disappointing dates I've been on since the beginning of the year. I gave myself a year off last year and thought maybe it might be different after break from dating. It was in fact not different. I came away from last night terribly sad at the very real prospect of never meeting someone to share life with. I'm 41 and over the last couple of years I've slowly been mourning the very real fact that I probably won't have children. I don't earn enough nor have any family so doing it on my own isn't an option. But last night the real grief of the loss of all those dreams of family and getting to share your life with someone really hit. I honestly thought I would just meet someone, but apparently I'm not designed for that. I mentioned this to a couple of friends this morning, but they replied with the standard lines, kids aren't easy, relationships are hard work, you should be grateful for what you have. I understand relationships are hard work. I also teach primary and understand in a way how much work children can be. I am grateful for what I have. It's more how to grieve knowing that what seemingly came to others with time has passed you by. So my question is, finally, how did others manage this? Did you do anything to help you get over that loss? Well, Bridget, first of all, I'm really sorry about your shitty friends because saying to someone who is genuinely grieving not being able to or thinking children mightn't happen for her is really minimising your experience and your pain and your grief and saying, oh, kids aren't that great or relationships are hard is mm. that's pretty shit. I'm jealous of you. <laughs> oh, no, no. It's, it's pretty awful. So I just first off the bat want to say to you, Bridget, your grief is completely correct and right and not over the top because as women, our entire purpose, we've been told and brought up in everyone's society, that's your centre point. Everything's building up to having children. That's why we're here. And it's hard not to absorb that throughout your whole life as, you know, People have phases in their life. You meet someone, you get engaged, you get married, you buy the house, you have kids. Like there's these markers. Mm. And when your life deviates from these markers, mm. you would question what's my purpose. Yeah. And you're obviously, guys, Michael's gay. That's right. And um, <laughs> In case you didn't pick it from the hysterical 15-minute long discussion of Madonna's biopic. But I know, and obviously I surround myself with a lot of homosexual men, I know that the grief at not meeting those markers extends to you. Yeah, totally. Yeah, when it, when it was dawning on me <laughs> that I was of the gay in my 20s, absolutely the most difficult thing about it wasn't anything particularly... I mean, I'm sure there was sort of gay shame mixed in with it as well. But the main thing was I just felt like this is going to make it hard for me to have kids. 
but if not, impossible. Mm. That's that's how I felt at the time. And obviously I just want to acknowledge that, of course, you know, there are options, but it's certainly not the no. route that I was imagining and it's not it's not easy at all. And, and I was someone that unusually, like my sister started having kids uh, when I was uh, nine years old. She was 20 years older than me, just wanted to see she yeah, was. <laughs> you're much younger than your sister. So I had babies around me. I was always very comfortable with babies and, and kids. And You and, are. And, you're magic with kids. They yeah, love you. And I, and I just always, I, I never, I was just one of those people that never, ever doubted that they would become a father. Mm. Never. And then all of a sudden I was faced with this thing of, it really might not happen or certainly not in the way you imagined in it and if it does happen it's likely not to be easy and absolutely it was it was grief i mean i didn't label it as such at the time well, we don't do we mm. and like, i couldn't talk about it at the time because no. you know it was all consumed with other things yeah but uh yeah it, it i would say it I wish I could say something else, but I would say that sort of dogged me for a couple of years there yeah. probably but i think if you're a woman i don't think it's something you'll ever shake Mm. I don't think this is a thing that you need to look at as, oh, I'll grieve and I'll get over it. I think that yearning, if it has entered your body, will always be there. You mm. can't turn it off. Mm. So I think just accepting that, first of all, it's totally, absolutely you would be grieving and it would be devastating. And, you know, I say this as a smug person with three children and I don't pretend to know how you feel, but you'll, I think you'll always have this sense of loss because you know, in the most simplistic level, you have been conditioned your whole life to think that's why you're here. Mm. And then when you don't mm. do the thing, mm. it's like, well, what's next? And I think, you know, people shouldn't say also, oh, there's IVF and there's adoption and there's like... It's- yeah, the practical reality. Because people say that to... Um, I, I'm shocked at how much people just flat out ask me, are you and Adrian going to have kids? How? What are you going to do? Well, like, firstly, those are pretty private discussions. And, and also it's tricky. Like people say adoption. Oh, it's hard it's in Australia. Hard. It and, is. And, and, and international expensive. adoption is hard for yeah. a gay couple. Yeah. And then people say, oh, well, you know, what about like you could go to America and use surrogacy and everything. But that is, we're talking hundreds mm. of thousands of dollars mm. and an enormous commitment. But for a woman also, it's a different experience to, you know, actually having a biological child mm. and going through the pregnancy and birthing that child. It's a different experience caring for someone else's child. It, mm. It's mm. it's another new kind of pivot for someone who still has to grieve the fact that their own body isn't maybe going to do it like they thought it would. Mm. And, you know, after I lost Ray, I realised how much I wanted another baby. And then when I was kind of told, well, you know, you're 40 and this was a miracle in itself and it's probably not going to happen. And I already had to, so I'm not comparing myself to you in any way, Bridget, but I remember feeling a sense of, well, no, this is this is mm. this should be my choice. I really want another baby, and I would have friends who would fall pregnant, and I would be happy for them in one space, and but then I would go home and feel devastated that it happened for them, and why isn't it happening for me? So, you know, I think the only advice, you know, I, I looked around and and I watched a great TED talk that I want to recommend, Jodie Day, and it's called "The Lost Tribe of Childless Women," and the big thing I took away from a lot of the stuff I read is find your community find other women and I noticed when Bridget was writing the post I noticed in the comments underneath it was already happening a lot mm. of women in our Facebook group were saying this is me also I think if you can find your community find other women who are grieving as you are I know that helps I it certainly helped me when I've been going through something and feeling isolated to find other people having a similar life experience and finding out what they do and you know commiserating with each other and truly knowing what the other is feeling I think is a great way to process it and reconcile it a little bit. I also want to say, Michael and I both want to say to you, you're only 41, don't give up on, like, meeting someone. (laughs) Like, Mm. you're definitely going to 
definitely going to meet someone, Bridget. Like you, you're out there dating and I'm, I don't know how people date now. Like I. Yeah. <laughs> I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued too. But I don't think she should give up on meeting someone. No, but that's, but obviously at 41 you're starting to realise even if you met someone tomorrow, it's going to be very, very hard to you know, have a child with them. and Oh, it would be, it's, you're looking at a different type of relationship, yeah. obviously. That's, that's, it's going to be different. You're not going to be looking to, if you meet a man and then you'd be worried, well, what if he wants to have kids and I can't. Also, as I always say, you've probably got great love in your life elsewhere that isn't romantic. And for the moment, if you can focus on that, the kids you teach at school, I bet they love you. True. Well, Bridget, we hope we've helped you, but we acknowledge and see you and your grief is totally appropriate. Yeah, totally. It's also, and I know it's all got consumed because this sort of grief is hard to talk about, unfortunately, because in some ways, you know, to talk about grief over not having children is just tricky in the landscape when we're trying to, like, embrace feminism and women being. It's a hard thing oh, yeah. to talk about. Yeah. Oh, we're, 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 I think that we're absolutely evolved enough in the discussion of feminism and to realise it's necessary to talk about that grief and to feel that grief. Yeah. And that's just the only way to move through it is to feel it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And articulate it. Yes. All right. Well, look, I feel like we went everywhere today. Good job. Well done. You Okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right, that's it from us. Michael Lucas, I'll talk to you. I mean, obviously I'll talk to you tonight, but uh, I'll see you next week. Thank you. You will indeed. For your stunning contribution. And look, you're now the official Madonna biopic. Autobiography. A visual autobiography. Visual autobiography. Like if you hear any news, feel free to give us updates. I'm so excited. Oh, it's just I wish I could offer my services <laughs> as a consultant because I'm pretty sure I remember more about that era than she does. <laughs> I really do. Amazing. All right, see you later. Bye. This is Emsolation. All right, gang. Well, you've got some TV shows to watch and, look, it caters, doesn't it? You could do Vikings, you could do Young Royals. What else? I've been doing Marvelous Mrs Maisel, inhaling the new episodes. It's funny. I've got, like, now I've got little days, so I've got two Drag Race series that I've been watching. I've got Marvelous Mrs Maisel coming out every week, The Gilded Age coming out every week. Uh, what else am I, like, that I'm appointment watching? I've got all these great little shows and I must tell you about a podcast Holy Christ. It's called Sweet Bobby. It's six episodes. I listen to it in two days. It's a scam podcast. It's a love scam podcast. And my, it, the twist. Sweet Bobby. Okay, that, that's your podcast homework this week. Once you've done this and you're looking for something else to listen to, I cannot recommend it enough. You'll sit there, Marcella, I made Marcella listen to it, my daughter, social media captain, and she took a photo of her face when she heard the twist and sent it to me. It's brilliant. It's so good. Six apps, do it. You will not You will not regret it, I promise. Thanks for being here. Make sure you do check out the wonderful Marcella socials at Emsolation Podcast. Get on board for the newsletter. That'll have all the live stream information for our second birthday. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, you know, God, I'm saying all this so fast, aren't I? I'm just going to take a breath. <laughs> And again, to everyone who was at the event for International Women's Day and happy International Women's Day to all the incredible women out there. I know, I'll see you, don't worry. And to everyone who was at that event, it truly, I think it's probably one of my favourite gigs I've ever done, really. It was great. It made me remember I can do it. Have a great week. We'll chat soon. 
Bye for now. Emsolation with M. Rossiano is a Spotify exclusive podcast hosted by M. Rossiano with Michael Lucas. Executive produced by Benjamin Wosley. Produced by M. Rossiano. Edited by Ezekiel Fenn at Entente Music. With videos by Liam O'Brien. Socials by Marcella Rossiano Barrow. With assistance from Jem Evans and Georgia Watts. Plus occasional technical wizardry, wine, and coffee from M. Dad Vinci. Get more Emsolation by following the Emsolation podcast on Instagram, where you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter. You can join other Emsolators at the Emsolation group on Facebook. The answer is Harry Styles. If you love what we do, share this podcast with a friend and make sure you're following us on the Spotify app. Thanks for taking time out to listen to this week's episode, and we look forward to chatting with you again soon. Bye.